Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoone. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I am back with a special release, which I have pretty much never done before. (laughs) It's in response to the Boulder mass shooting, which occurred on March 22nd of 2021. I do believe as you listen to this conversation that the content truly is evergreen and it definitely transcends this particular terrible tragedy that happens and can be a tool for many of you to work through whatever grief you are dealing with. But for me, while every shooting has hit close to home, this one was literally three blocks from my old house in Boulder, Colorado at the King Supers grocery store that me and my family visited multiple times a week. To say the least, it was shocking and horrifying. And over the past week or so, I have found myself processing many emotions, including deep, like down to the core, sadness, um, anger, frustration, guilt for the fact that I moved. I don't even live there. Should I be even like have the right to feel this sad? And then the helplessness that's sort of coming out the other side. Um, I have been up at night. I've been going through that negative fear-driven thought cycle that just won't quit. So in order for me to survive, I did what I need to do to heal. I reached out. I sent out an emotional email to my community. I posted my feelings publicly. I need support. I need community. When things like this happen in my life, I don't go within. Um, And I actually asked one of my upcoming guests, a widely known psychologist, to change her plans and talk to me with only a moment's notice about how to process the aftermath of the shooting. Her name is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. She is a psychologist. She helps people. She has a podcast called Self Work, and it's it's free and incredible, and you should listen to it. And to be honest, we were getting ready to book her to talk about her book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, And instead, she sent me, actually, I didn't actually reach out to her. So I kind of lied a second ago. She actually reached out to me and said, Nicole, I see you're hurting. What can I do? Can I come on now? We can talk about my book later, some other time. But can I come on now and help you process this grief? And I said, yes, please. So we found ourselves in the middle of a Sunday afternoon, having a personal therapy session through Zoom, but I knew that it was something that would not only help me, that, it, but I think that it could help so many of you too. So with that, I'm going to turn the mic over and welcome Dr. Margaret Rutherford to the show. 
All right. I'm so excited. Margaret, thank you for coming on the show. I know this was a last minute thing. Um, before, before we start rolling, I just want to say that you are an absolute goddess to me. I have been listening oh to your work. I'm reading your new book and we were getting ready to get you on the show to talk about yeah. perfectly hidden depression. This amazing new book you wrote about uh, a topic that we need to hit on, but then Boulder went through a massive trauma and you That's right. being the person you are sent me a note and said, what can I do? And I said, I need some therapy. Can I have you on the show right now? And so <laughs> we're doing it. So thank well, you. Oh, you're so welcome. I, in fact, um, it, Boulder is one of the places that my son's in LA and Boulder is one of the places that we had talked about meeting when we finally got our vaccines and, and then he decided to come home, but I've heard some, I've never been to Boulder. I've been to Colorado several times and, but I do plan to come to the city. And I, when I saw that where you were from and I just thought, oh gosh, let me, let me try to help whatever I can do to help. So I am thrilled to be here and hope that I can at least reach one of your listeners and try to give them some help. Well, if nobody else, you're going to reach me. Okay, Thank that's you. good. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I think, you know, it's really actually pretty amazing to talk to somebody who's dedicated her life to helping others. I mean, this isn't even on the agenda today, but I don't know. Does it feel like pressure to you? Do you sit there and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to, I'm like, you're like a superhero. You know, it's like the, the bells go off and you're like, let me help to the rescue. <laughs> well, uh, some people would call that, you know, narcissistic, I guess, but hopefully it's healthy narcissism. Um, you know, I'm a therapist, Nicole, because I, I benefited so much from therapy. My twenties were a mess and, um, I got some really good therapy and, um, not to, uh, you know, we're talking about something very serious today, but my dad used to call me and say, how's your practice? And I'd go, it's fine, dad's doing well. And he would sort of laugh and chuckle a little bit and say, well, you know, you screwed your own life up so much. There's not too much you don't understand. <laughs> so, and he was right. So um, all that chaos has led to me wanting to help. I mean, when I, when I realized I didn't want to be a professional musician anymore, because I, that's how I made my living for in my twenties. And I said, I, and I was starting to volunteer at the battered women's shelter and I just found myself. So uh, that led me after nine years to a PhD. And I'm so honored to, that people, you know, what happens is you don't, you don't focus as much on what you're doing, but the, you focus on just the honor you feel that people are opening up to you. And sometimes they're most demoralized and vulnerable uh, places where they've ever lived and been and, and suffered. So, it is a, uh, I've done it now for 30 years almost, and it's just really, um, I mean, it has, I've received many more blessings <laughs> than I've given. So anyway, I am, I'm delighted to be here to try to help you and the people of Boulder and the people of Colorado. Well, you know, I feel like there's just a lot of pain in our world right now. It's like, mm -hmm. we're just heaping pain on pain and a lot of us don't actually go through the steps to heal one layer before another one comes. No. I mean, here we are over a year into a pandemic, which has created a lot of pain for a lot of people. You bet. And there's, there's a lot of terrible things going on in our world, in our country, you know, and the most recent pain has really hit super close to home for me. And that is the shooting in Boulder that happened last week. And I'm still very emotional about it. Um, 
And even for people that don't live in Boulder or aren't from Boulder, we are all starting to be able to relate to the feelings that happen when a mass, a tragedy like this occurs. Well, you're right. We all have our local grocery. We all have our local grocery store, right? I mean, we all have the grocery store that just by habit we go to, we stop by for milk. We, you know, and, and I think you can so easily, just like Sandy Hook, where you could put yourself in that place so easily where those children were. Um, many of us never had seen the, the, the towers in New York. Not that that wasn't a catastrophe beyond catastrophes, but when you, when it happens, at a grocery store or a school or, or someplace where you've lived a lot of your life or you, you've always felt like this is, a, this is a safe place, then all of a sudden what is normal um, in our lives becomes scary and re- we realize that those normal spaces can be invaded. Can we talk about the feelings that, I don't know, in my mind, they are, it's like these stages of pain and grief. Something mm-hmm. like this happens and the first thing in today's world is this like shock because we can actually see that it's happening live. Yes. And th- that might be seen as uh, a bad thing by some people. Um, you know, uh, we all, like you said before, we're all in this state of trauma exhaustion. Um, it's like a, a, it just, this metaphor just occurred to me. It's like a, you know, it is a, one of those uh, pileups of cars that's sort of never ending, you know, it's crash after crash after crash after crash and you're stuck in the middle of it. And so um, it has been a horribly difficult emotional and psychological year. And then something like Boulder happens where um, you're already exhausted and, and then you, you know, you have these feelings that it's just whatever scab you have managed to grow and it might be even just very fragile is once again ripped off and you've got this uh, and you, and you're trying to take care of your children and you're trying to do your job and, and you're watching this coverage um, on television or or you're streaming it or something. And uh, with every death that unfolds or, you know, person, you know, that you saw yesterday or whatever, it's just, um, it brings it so to home. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've seen people as patients who have had home invasions or have had, uh, you know, these kinds of very normal circumstances um, that have, have turned horrific. And it is, it, it, it makes, it takes quite a while to allow your emotions to, to honor them to sift through them, uh, you know, it's not good to try to escape them because they are so real, and and you want to get stuck in them. Uh, people often ask me, Nicole, and I'm kind of struck by this question all the time. But how do I know I'm grieving correctly? And my only answer to that question that I've ever been able to figure out, because grieving is very unique, is that if you're getting stuck in one emotion, if you're getting stuck in fear, if you're getting stuck in anger, if you're getting stuck in sadness or denial or, or however, um, that's what you don't want. And so, you know, watching your children, watching yourself, watching your friends, um, you know, how do you see people, do you see yourself 
maybe maybe every 10 minutes you have a different emotion or maybe every day you wake up feeling differently about it. Um, so it, it's just important to try to move through them instead of, um, yeah, instead of getting stuck. Well, and you know, what comes to my mind is this, this concept that I'm not sure if it's cultural, maybe it's generational, but that we try to stop the emotion. So like with kids, they cry and we go, stop crying. It's, it's okay. You can stop crying now. But really, should we stop crying? Like No. Mm-mm. No, somewhat synergistically, I was, um, I, I took a walk this morning before we started talking and I was listening to a woman who I'd never heard speak before, Susan David. She was on Lewis Howe's um, latest episode and she she's an expert on, emotions and she talked about emotions as as data was her word for it or as emotions or information that you that sometimes they're not um sometimes they're not even rational but they they are data about where you are and you have to kind of accept that you may not like feeling a certain emotion uh you may not like feeling helpless or afraid i don't like feeling helpless um most of us don't but it it you're going to have the reaction you have. Maybe you're still in shock. Maybe you can't believe this is happening and you even wonder, gosh, am I in some kind of nightmare? Um, Maybe you are, um, you know, you you could be very angry. You could be, you know, kind of dependent on where you are. Um, And I don't want to, I'm not a politician, so I don't want to get into that too much, but whether you're a gun owner or you're not, or you're against that, you know, if you have strong feelings about guns, then that's going to, change the way you feel about this and um and you're going to have different emotions because of that and what we need to try to understand is that um emotions may scare us and they may be highly unpleasant but they are it the what i have learned big time is that the more you bottle them up or what's called in uh, psychology compartmentalization you rigidly compartmentalize. I don't want to feel that. I don't even want to, I, I'm, I'm just going to shove it away as far as I can. That that doesn't get rid of them. In, in fact, I, I used to use this uh, analogy of the, the farther, well, I still do occasionally. Let's say you push away your emotions because well, all they do is they circle around and then they're behind you, but they're still present. And so they are affecting kind of like if you were living in a big ring. And so you push them away and they swing up and then they're behind you and you can't see how they're affecting you, but they're affecting you. So it's much better not to push them away. Maybe you have to push them away. Maybe you've got a big project you're working on at work or maybe your child is sick. or, And so you do, it's healthy. It's a healthy skill to be able to put them aside for the moment um, and and not... Uh, let them overwhelm you, but then you get them back out when you have time and when you can write about it and when you can feel about it. Um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good skill to have to not just, you have an emotion and it just, it seeps in so much that you, that you're just lost in it. Um, and so you, you take it in, in, um, you take it as you can and you and, and you work through it small bits at a time but at the same time you don't want to pretend it's not there that is that's the worst thing you can do 
You know, and I, and it's common nature, I think, to not want to sit in pain and discomfort because that hurts and we don't like, we don't like to hurt, but it sounds like we have to find ways to hurt and like, let it go through us and not get stuck um, and, and process. And it's like, I want to know how long will it take? And not, and and there's a, there's an, there's a compassion piece too. Like I'm hurting for me as part of a collective community who still identifies really closely with Boulder and I'm hurting more so even for what I imagine is going through the minds and hearts of the people who witnessed what happened Yes, and for the families of the victims. Exactly. Um, Yes, I I actually, um, you know, you can have PTSD when it didn't happen to you. Uh, the event has to be it's post traumatic stress disorder. You you the the event by definition to have PTSD has to be out of nor- out of normal human experience, which certainly a shooting like this is. But you can have. Um, there's some debate about this, but I don't, I don't care about the debate. I've had people, for example, during 9-11 who have just watched the coverage and have developed nightmares and flashbacks as if they were there. And so, um, you know, that can happen. And, 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 the, and the people of Boulder and the people, of anybody who's really been watching it, whether you're from Boulder or not, it has to realize that that can happen to you. It might be a little more moderate than the people who, like you say, they're going to have so much to, to work through. And of course the families of the victims are as well and the friends and the, and the employees of the store. And I certainly hope that um, the grocery store is, is pulling therapists in to help uh, those people. Um, And I would strongly encourage anyone who was there, you know, it's not self-pity. It's not, uh, it is about the farthest thing from self-pity that there can be when you need to acknowledge that this is affecting me. Um, I know people don't like to think of, many people don't like to think of themselves as victims. You know, we're, we're Americans. We're supposed to be able to, whatever that whole sense of being strong and living through anything is resilient. Well, you could, if anything, if this pandemic has taught us is that resilience doesn't always have to look like you you just soldier through. Resi- true resilience is about, you know, bending. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, you know, a, the tree will, and I'm going to crucify it, but something like the tree that bends will survive the storm. You know, the tree that remains rigid will break. And so you want to be that tree that bends. You want to be the tree that acknowledges all of a sudden I have worries that I didn't have. All of a sudden I'm looking at strangers like, did they, you know, could they do a copycat? I mean, all of a sudden things that are, that have never, um, I've, I've never thought about them or I haven't thought about them in a long time come to, to come to pass. Um, you know, there have been studies of soldiers who've gone to war and had these horrible experiences and they find that it's about a third of them do not develop PTSD um, and a third of them have some problems, but don't develop PTSD. And then a third of them develop PTSD. And there's obviously questions about why that happened. And I would imagine that the the citizens of, of Boulder or just in, in that whole uh, in Colorado 
about a third, a third, a third will be that same way. And basically, it is the level of prior trauma. Um, you know, if you if you had a rough family or you had a dad that got violent or you had a mom that was an alcoholic or you had, you know, you were bullied or you had a coat. I mean, what's, what's the level of trauma that you walk in with? And then all of a sudden this happens and you're um, you it does not have an an immune kind of. Oh, so now I'm immune to trauma. Um, now, I'm saying this and thinking about police officers and firefighters and they are trained to, to become immune to trauma. They are, they go through specific training so that they, um, that they can, can run toward a fire instead of running away from it. But when it, when trauma happens intermittently, <clears throat> excuse me, or it's not something you face every day, then, then when you have past trauma, then it tends to get re-triggered and you have more of an emotional response to it. You know, it makes me think about um, this concept of like the when trauma triggers grief mm -hmm. and then does grief turn into depression? Like, is there a gray line there? Um, certainly grief can turn into depression. And and I would I would certainly make an educated guess that because we all have this sort of trauma exhaustion going on right now that that's going to happen more. Um, the, the actual clinical diagnostic line would be how much is it interrupting your normal functioning? You know, uh, are you not sleeping? Um, are you irritable with friends? Are you drinking too much? Are you, are you isolating and not wanting to go outside of your house or developing agoraphobia, or like the fear of leaving your home? That's obviously, you know, something that can turn in, but that's not depression. That's an anxiety disorder. But, you know, um, remember, we're already handling a, a great deal of ambiguity and not knowing. And all of a sudden this enters the picture and um, it's, it's just adds a whole nother layer. And um, actually in some ways, I, it also brings community together because everyone has some level of of um, shock, of anger, of uh, you used the term compassion just a few minutes ago. It can it, it can build a sense of of community compassion. Um, I don't know. I haven't read about whether the family of this young man has come forward or not. Have they come forward in any way? Uh, in some ways, but I, I believe they're sort of shut down now. But they're okay. They definitely discussed that he may have suffered from delusions and some various things that could potentially, I think, be labeled mental illness in some ways. And that mm -hmm. has certainly come up and been a hot topic, even on a benign Facebook post that I did, you know, that people started a, a little bit of a argument. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's easy to get mad at mental illness. You know, uh it 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 gives people a target. Oh, mentally see, we got need to lock up these mentally ill people. And um psychosis there are many mental illnesses that don't have any psychosis in them and psychosis means that you are actually seeing things that aren't there, hearing things that aren't there, hearing voices, having delusions. 
So you're not living in reality. You're living. And yes, psychotic people can become dangerous. But when we just lump all mental illness together and think, you know, people with schizophrenia, people with who, who can get psychotic, who can have uh, auditory and visual hallucinations. In fact, there's been many, uh, a researcher who has found that schizophrenia actually lowers the chance that you will become aggressive. Um, so, uh, you know, but then there, then there are people that can point out these exceptions, these, these people in the, um, that are severely mentally ill and it takes the form of, of probably them hearing voices or something uh, or having a delusion that creates this kind of violence. But the vast majority of people with mental illness do not have any kind of propensity for danger or uh, aggressiveness. So I really, um, it, it, but it's an easy target. It that, is. You know. and, and people want to blame things. And yep. You know, the last thing that I ever want to do is create more stigma around something that people are already so scared to come forward to mm -hmm. share or get help for. And so that's not my goal or purpose either, you know, but it's it's definitely I think the point is that people want to blame something. They want to know why. Yes. And what it's really happening is that we're starting to feel very helpless. Like we don't know why this happened. We don't know why it happened right here. We don't know why these people were targeted. Were they targeted? It doesn't seem like it. It seems really random. We just know that a community that actually, I don't know if you know this, but Boulder has frequently been named either the happiest city in America or the number one best city to live in, in America. No, I didn't know that. Multiple times. And you sit here and you're like, if this can happen here, really? It's not the happiest city in America anymore. That's for sure. No. Well, um, you know, uh, I've been, I've been a therapist for a long time and you hear, I have heard, Many, many, many stories of the cruelty of um, how cruel people can be to one another. And um, how, you know, that never gets reported. <laughs> That's usually not even, sometimes not even called mental illness. It's just called, uh, you know, it's called abuse. And, but so therapists certainly are aware of. Um, the manipulation and the cruelty that can happen in the in the name of whatever, in the name of power, in the name of um, just you know, uh, I can do it, so I will do it. Um, in the name of money or um, the sense of control. So, um, you know, when you hear, when I hear something like this, um, I I know that that our our own homes are often places where horrible abuse happens. And so the fact that, and, and home, of course, is supposed to be, you know, romantically or ideally, or, you know, it's a, it's a place where you're safe. Well, many, many, many people are not safe in their own homes. So, it, and I'm sort of, as I'm talking, I'm thinking about this. So, you know, grocery stores, Boulder is supposed to be safe, but actually um, that is kind of a, a made up kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> because in you know, it is it's actually realistic that many people who 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 you might think they have a happy home do not. 
Um, so uh, Fayetteville, is, where I live, has also been usually in the top 10 of the best places to be. And yet two years ago, we had an active shooter who I was telling you about before we began recording, who uh, only, quote unquote, killed a, a police officer. Um, and then the police shot him before he, but he was headed toward our town square that at the time was filled with people looking at Christmas lights. So, um, I mean, filled to the brim. We, we, we just, you know, we weren't a boulder because he, he, he was shot. Um, he gave away what he was planning to do. So, um, you know, I am so sorry that your city that has, you know, worked very hard, I'm sure, to create the kind of environment where it is called, you know, a happier place to live. But that does not mean that, I mean, every place has its share of of uh, cruelty and of um, people who are, who justify their actions, be they toward their own children or be they toward a community. Can we talk a little bit about fear then? Um, yep. Because we, I, I also sort of have like guilt of going about my daily life in steamboat. Like my husband and I went skiing the next day, like mm. for two, it was like when I, I guess I can sit around and cry and think about how sad I am, or I can get out and move and get some sunlight, you know? And so we sat on the chairlifts and we weren't our chipper selves, but like there's guilt that goes along with moving forward with your daily life. And then on the flip side, as you move forward with your daily life, there's a little, a little inkling of fear. Like I have not gone to the supermarket yet, even in Steamboat Springs, mm -hmm. because it's, there's something in my mind right now that tells yeah. me I'm not ready to go in there. Well, it's because it's going to trigger you, you know, you're, you're going to be picking up some stalks of celery and you're going to say, I wonder if anybody was picking up a stalk of celery when they were shot or when they had to run out of the store or, you know, it is evocative of something that happened. Um, and so, uh, you know, there are many people that haven't been back to movie theaters when movie theater shooting started. Uh, and the more generally anxious you are or the more you can visualize, uh, there's a disorder called generalized anxiety disorder in, in uh, psychiatry. And it is people who have very active visualizations of traumatic things happening. And they're not, they're not things that have normally happened. That's more like PTSD when you're actually flashing back or having nightmares. But, um, you know, the more active imagination you have, the more likely you're going to, to have that happen to you. Um, but what I would say and what I always uh, suggest to people, not always, but most of the time I suggest to people is they take it in small batches. You have to do what's kind of your own exposure therapy. If you just have to go sit in the grocery store parking lot and watch people go in and out, if that's all you can do, fine. Um, you know, you want to be aware of and accept where you are. And if you're too afraid to go, then don't go yet because you'll, you'll, you'll overexpose yourself to your anxiety. So you take small chunks. Uh, my son was scared of snakes when he was young. Well, I didn't take him to a snake pit, you know, and say, now, see, this is fine. I didn't show him. What are those movies? Um, uh, the guy always have snakes coming out of, uh, 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 oh, oh, shoot. That. You mean Raiders uh, of the Lost Ark? Raider, Raider. Oh I mean, I didn't, I didn't make him sit and watch that for, you know, 10 times. No, we, we you know, 
we looked at a garden snake and, you know, from afar and we, you know, so you, you, you expose them uh, slowly to, to what they're afraid of. And you need to have that kind of compassion for yourself. Um, you know, um, we've all been afraid of the virus or a lot of people have been afraid of the virus. Not everyone has been afraid enough, but in my opinion, but, um, and I've certainly had patients who haven't, I have a friend who hasn't left her home. That's how afraid she is. And so, you know, do I judge her for that? No, that she's taking care of herself the way she needs to, but I'm a little scared for her that it's going to turn into agoraphobia. So, um, and because that will interrupt totally the rest of her life. So if that is happening to you, you do want to, and now of course we, we're still doing teletherapy. So you can reach out to a therapist and have teletherapy and hopefully he or she will begin to help you realize that in order to confront um, this fear, you have to just take it in small chunks, then walk in the grocery store and walk in, walk in, walk out, you know, go in for a specific item, It'll take you one minute, you know, do self-checkout, you know, just begin to work with your anxiety slowly and gently and compassionately. That's such good advice. Um, what do we do with these feelings of guilt about living our happy lives? Yeah, that's a really good question. And one that certainly I've, I've worked with people who've walked away from car crashes and they've killed somebody else and, it, they certainly deal with that, even if they weren't even there. If a friend died, uh, I had a, a young man one time who came in because he usually went on a trip with someone and he didn't go. And he usually drove and then the young man drove and he crashed. So he was saying, you know, if I'd been driving, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, he does, of course, know that. But it took him a while to work through that survivor guilt. Um, no, it's normal. First thing, you can go. I'm crazy. What I'm, I'm, I'm. This is, you know. Of course, I'm going to enjoy my life. Um, but I was just in a seminar yesterday with a woman whose husband. Uh, she's written a book called Black Widow, and she's. I want her on my podcast. She is incredible, and she said she. And part of her working through her grief was realizing that he died and she didn't, and to accept that, and she had a child to raise, and. And so, you know, you can die along with someone else. I mean, you can, um, you can emotionally die, you know, and not enjoy your own life. And so you, you do have to work out those feelings of why am I alive? I had a really good friend named Paula Evans, who was a jingle singer with me years ago. And she, um, she had a gorgeous voice and she became one of the backup singers for Reba McIntyre. And they were all, her band, Reba McIntyre's band was almost, all of her band was killed in a plane accident. And I remember having to work through Survivor Guild because, you know, why, had Paul, why was Paula at age 34 or 5 struck down like that? And, you know, I've lived another, sometimes I still think about it, I've lived another 30 years. And um, I don't know why. There isn't a good answer why. It could have been me. It could have been someone else. It was Paula. And so um, you didn't, you weren't in the store that day, those 10 people or nine people, um, one person died was the police officer. Um, they were there and there's no why, there's no reasonable why, um, but all their families and friends are going to have to deal with this survivor guilt and, and the people in the store and, 
And like you said, even people who weren't remotely there and don't even know the person. Um, we don't know. What, what is that book that has been a bestseller for years when bad things happen to good people? Um, you know, it happens. And um, that's something that I see all the time. And there is, it, it is something to just sort of sift through in your soul and your heart. Many people's spiritual beliefs help them with this. Um, and, and so what I suggest is uh, if you're if you're really getting stuck in those thing in that thinking, then uh, do some things. Um, there are meditation apps. There are things that that help you learn how to get control more of what your thinking is and what your mind is doing. And you know, oh, meditation, oh, that'll take me you know an hour a day, and it's about floating. No, <laughs> it's literally can be done in five minutes a day. But it can really help you begin to understand that uh, when you get lost in an emotion, you're you're losing out on the present, and so you want to try to stay in the present while you're also processing your emotions. Um, that can be a very very important skill to try to develop. That's really good advice. Um, we'll try to maybe get some resources I can put in the show notes. Perfect. That would be great. Can we, can we hit on one more topic before we wrap up? I want to talk about the helplessness about mm -hmm. the fact that shootings have been going on for, for decades. Yes. And we are disgusted, horrified. We grieve sometimes closely, like in this case for me, sometimes from afar. Oh, that look really, that looks really bad. Sandy hook. You know, I mean, everyone can get their head around like the mass murder of 25 year olds like that is disgusting. And then you grieve it and then your life kind of goes back to normal and then nothing changes or at least it feels like nothing changes because another one occurs. And I've been beating myself up a little bit like, why haven't I done more? personally, just me, can I even make a change? And then I start to go, oh, I can't, there's nothing I could do to change this. Like, how do we deal with those feelings? Mm -hmm. And what can we I'm, do to make a change? I, I'm sitting here thinking about lynchings as well. You know, the African-American population, you know, has been putting up with lynchings for years. And uh, there, there are other cultural and ethnic groups that have been, um, horribly abused and maltreated and killed uh, just because of the color of their skin or because of the country they come from. Um, and Jewish people certainly know this feeling with the Holocaust. And, and they might say, what has been done? Hardly anything from their perspective. And so um, as a human being and as, um, as someone who watches people go through deaths of children and um, all kinds of horrible things happen in their lives. And then you say, what can I do? Um, look, you know, I, in, in my podcast, I say, and I say to all my patients, look for what you actually do have control over. You have control over what's happening in your own community you know, how are the mentally ill treated in your community? Um, does your community have a, 
a mental health center. Um, we in Fable have just begun, and I'm unfortunately it's, and I'm afraid the the funding is going to be pulled. But they they're setting up these mental crisis centers for police to bring mentally ill people, not not to, for example, to. Um, and they're in a in their they're in a psychotic state or they're in they're bipolar and they're manic or whatever. And they're brought there instead of being sent to jail. They're getting this kind of training of what to do. Um, you know, how are you um uh if if you're a, a if you're you know hate gun violence and that's something that's a value system of yours, what are you doing about it? Um what are we doing legally? Are we uh, are we um are we electing people who are going to fight for that? Or if you're a gun owner, you know, uh, what kind of safety precautions uh, need to be in place um, so that, you know, you, we're, it's a safer world. What are you doing? Um, and so we can, we can, you know, you can fight. You can just say, oh, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not able to do anything. We're all able to do something. We're all able to do something. Um, no matter how small. And so, you know, the same thing with other, what can we do about global warming? Well, or or what can we do about poverty? Or what can we do about all these things that are seemingly so uh, huge a problem? But, but if you can make a difference just, and I sound like a, a, a commercial, but um, you really can. And um, I reached out to you today because this is what I have control over or reached out this week. I have control over knowing you're from Boulder and, and saying something. It's the small thing I can do. So, um, you know, th there is there's something, but you have to look for it. So when if you are listening and you're feeling like I am, maybe there's some deeper soul searching for you to do here to think about the things that you actually can control in your life and maybe even just starting small and starting in your family and exactly and moving into the community. You know, I think when we really feel at our emotional and psychological best, when we feel strong, we're actually whatever value system that we believe we have and say we value, um, uh, well, whatever it is, we've, we value well-being, we value spirituality, we value love and generosity. You know, what in your behavior is actually mirroring that? What, what are you doing with your life? What, who, what, how are you saying things? What are you doing? What are you expressing? What are you working on that actually is a translation of that value in your life? And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I care about that, but their lives don't reflect that. And so I think the more uh, fancy word, psychological word for it is congruence, the more congruence you have, the more similarity you have between your value system inside and what you're doing with it on the outside, then you won't feel helpless because you're actually living out your values. Oh, I love that. Well, the very last thing is that within my little tiny family circle, which consists of my husband and my nine-year-old, I also have a lot of emotions wrapped around my nine-year-old navigating this world. And not just that, but how I react and respond and share the kind of information, you know, about things like this that are happening that won't traumatize her for life, that will 
empower her to feel stronger, but also, I don't know, allow her to grow up to be a compassionate being too. So if you have any thoughts or advice for people with little kids, I know you can't speak to every single age and what kids are able to take in, but what would you say? Well, I'd first start with questions, I think. Um, You know, have you heard about this? What have you heard about it? Um, So you try to understand from their perspective what, how they they are already beginning to internalize it and and what story are they telling themselves about it? Um, And if you t- if you, if you listen to the story they're telling themselves about, or maybe they go, "Mommy, I don't know what you're talking about," then you you have to say, "Well, something bad happened where we used to live, and mommy's kind of sad about it because people got hurt, and people sometimes can hurt other people, and and so I feel sad, or um, or it's okay if you hear about it and you feel sad, or sometimes you might feel scared. You know, we have not talked yet about." you know, the famous uh, reactions to stress, which is fight, flight. Most people just think of those two. There's actually freeze is another one, and fold is the other one. A fold doesn't get talked as much about, uh, actually, and it's just as much, to me, a real um, stressful reaction. So you, you want to find out what kind of reaction your child is having. Do they feel paralyzed? Are they getting scared? Do they want to flee? Mommy, let's leave Colorado. I think it's not safe to leave here. Do they get angry um, or do they tend to implode? Do they want to stay in their rooms because that's the only place they feel safe? So you want to understand your own reaction and, and, and be aware of your own reaction as well as then what you are conveying to them because they will, they will absorb what your, what your reaction is. Um, and, and then try to understand, you know, it's, I, I thought about, uh, as you were asking me this question, I, this wasn't in my plan to say, not that I had too much of a plan anyway, but I noticed during this pandemic that um, there is an elementary school that I drive by, used to drive by every time I would go to work. And somebody, I don't know who, there was a tree stump on the corner and some very artsy family about once a month changes that treat they put eyes on it and a mouth and they like for halloween they made it into a ghost or a pirate or something in it then at um valentine's day they made it into and mardi gras they made you know they beads on it and it made me smile (laughs) to to drive by this tree stump (laughs) and see what they had done you know that's what they had control over they could bring a smile to people's faces as they drove by well i wonder what the stump is going to look like today so it might even seem completely far away or not having anything to do but your children can be very creative about well what can i do to make my my little hometown feel better let me try to help my my hometown everyone's hearts be be happier what what do i what is my reaction to people feeling sad and that's that's empowering to them to feel like they can do something they can take a neighbor you know a, 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 some groceries or they can you know what 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 can your children empower your children to think i can make a contribution that will make this world a little bit of a safer or happier place and what i love about that is it brings them into the collective 
You bet. It connects them to the community. Do you have any last thoughts on how this community can heal in the direct aftermath? You know, I think um, when I think about grief, I think a lot in the people that I've seen and I myself have grieved is that, you know, for a while, it's it's kind of like when you have a baby, you know how many hours old that baby is. And then all of a sudden, you know how many days it's been and how many weeks it's been. Oh, she's 16 weeks old. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's a year and a half. Then all of a sudden, well, he's in his 20s. <laughs> you know, so with time evolving and, and going forward, you do get more distance on it, but then there's sort of an anniversary effect. And, you know, um, my brother died in 2019 and it wasn't, we knew he was dying, but it was still very, very difficult. Um, and, you know, I remember it's been a day since he died. It's been a week since he died. It's been a month since he died. And so I'm sure the people of Boulder will be going through that. And, So I would be aware that that might be why you feel like you need to rest more, that you need to get out and walk, that you need to write. Um, If you're worrying a lot, let me say this too, because this is a wonderful technique. If you're worrying a lot, there's a thing called a worry journal that uh, what you do is you... Uh, you sit down and for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever time you actually, um, you you give your time, your time, you make that time yourself, whatever, it doesn't matter. And you write furiously about your worry, everything you're worried about. And then you close that journal. And if you have the thought, well, I'm worried about money or whatever, then you think, no, I'm going to write about that tomorrow night at seven o'clock or eight o'clock or nine o'clock. I sit down every night and write or in the morning because you want to honor those feelings. I think you can do the same thing with grief. You want to honor those feelings, but at the same time, you want to corral them. You want them to not be able to seep all over your life. And so you write about your grief, you write about your worry, you write about your fear, you write about your helplessness, but then you close it knowing you're going to come back to it. Again, you're honoring it while also corralling it. And what that does is over time, it helps you move through whatever feelings those are because one, you get tired of writing the same thing over and over again, but two, you actually can see, you know, I don't feel that that way as much anymore. I don't, I'm not quite worried. It's worried. So it gives you this sense of movement through feelings that are very difficult to feel. You are wonderful. I love this concept. We're all going to start our grief journals right now. Good, good, (laughs) good. I hope so. I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being like my little knight in shining armor and coming in and giving me a therapy session, which is going to be helping many, many other people who listen. Um, And, you know, it just helps to know that there are people like you out there who have actual professional expertise that can really dive in if we need to go deeper. And many people will. Well, you know, I did a training with the American Red Cross um, several years ago, and I expected, I went to the training expecting to be, 
expecting to be given all these things that I should say and I should do. And there was some of that, but most of it was, you know, people need you to just walk around, give them a cup of coffee and let them talk. Just let them talk. Um, And so that's what each of you can do for one another. Talk to each other about what you're doing, how you're doing, how your kids are doing, how hard it was to go into the grocery store. Just talk and express yourself and you will be able as a community to help one another. And then if you get into trouble, uh, I'm sure the therapists in Boulder and in the surrounding areas are very aware that they're going to they're going to be needed. And um you know some people ask me sometimes Nicole, well how do you hold all of this? Um you know therapists are trained to to do this and um it is you know I come home and I and I cook. I chop onions like a fiend or I you know it it's um and just kind of like the police, the firefighters, we've learned how to. And then sometimes I don't handle it very well, and I cry, and I let it out, whatever emotions. And actually, I, I'm going to take that back. I do handle it well. I just have to cry um, over the pain that it causes. And um, so support one another and and um, know that there's an anniversary effect. And that so some days that's not, you're not regressing if you have a harder day than the than the day was yesterday, that is, you know, yeah, this is important too. That is what grief is. Grief does not start and then recede, recede, recede. Grief is like if I, if I, if you didn't have a concept of the ocean, no concept at all, and I picked you up and at black midnight or at black high tide and it's dark outside, I put you in the ocean. And you're just getting hit by wave after wave after wave. And you instinctively, you know, dig your toes down so that the, the undertow doesn't get you, and you just try to survive. Well, gradually, the tide is going out, but you don't know that. So you live sort of by experience. You think, okay, well, gosh, I handled that better than I did yesterday. And this doesn't seem quite as bad, but then if you know about the ocean, you know that all of a sudden you will be hit by a wave that is far stronger than even maybe the first one, a rogue wave, boom, you know, and you think it's over. I've got to give up. But if you know, wait, this is the nature of grief. It goes and comes and it gets stronger and it recedes and it gets stronger again and it recedes. That's not you getting worse unless you get suicidal or you get, you know, you have thoughts of hurting yourself or someone else. You obviously need to get help if you do. But that is the nature of grief. And if you know that and if you go in with that, then it's easier to have those days. It's yeah, it's easier to have those days because your mind can say, I'm not losing control. I'm I'm I it's just the nature of what I'm going through. There will be peaceful water on the other side at some point. There will be the tide is will be going out with time. Yeah. Well, and then look so- for what you can do. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with me and my community today. And of course, um, it's it's been powerful. Thank you for having me. I appreciate getting to do at least something I can do. Hey, my friends. I just want to end today by reminding you that 
None of us are alone in these thoughts. Yes, they are unique for all of us, how grief and sadness and all the horror presents itself to all of us is unique. But we can get through tough things, especially when we do it together. I really took to heart what Margaret said. She said, we can do something. Start with the things that you have control over. I'm processing that. I'm sure many of you are too. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being there for me, for not turning your back when I'm in pain. And uh, I will always be here for you. And with that, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout. I'll see you next week.